Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to Stone Chiseler Sunday. I hope you are having a fantastic weekend. I got to tell you, here in East Texas today, it is absolutely gorgeous. It is amazing. And um, I'm so glad that you are here to listen to Chapter 7 of The Stone Chiseler. The title of this chapter is Between Action and Reaction. And as I have mentioned before, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, was the inspiration for a great deal of, if not all of, the Stone Chiseler. And one of the things that Viktor Frankl used to teach was that between action and reaction, there is space. If we maintain control of our mind and control of our emotions, then we will be constantly aware of the fact that in every circumstance, no matter what the action that we are faced with, there's a small segment right there between action and reaction that if we can focus and control that, then we have true self-control. I know this has been one of the most difficult things for me to practice throughout the course of my life because when someone insults you, they hurt your feelings, heck, they punch you in the face, you have an immediate visceral desire for reaction. But if we can maintain control of our mind in such a way that we have that moment to just stop, pause, and decide in that moment what our reaction will actually be, it will be much more deliberate. And that's what young Giovanni learns for the first time in this chapter. Thank you so much for listening to these chapters of The Stone Chiseler. Don't forget, you can go to jasonrightnow.com and order your own copy. You can go to Amazon and order a copy. It's available on Audible and Kindle version, as well as paperback version on Amazon. I do hope you will pick up a copy. So without further ado, enjoy your Sunday, get some rest, love on your family, and enjoy this chapter of The Stone Chiseler. Thanks. Chapter 7. Between Action and Reaction The sun was relentless on this particular day. The plow horses were moving slowly as suds of sweat started to form upon their backs. Their heads bobbed higher than usual, expressing their exhaustion. It was never the habit of the boy's father to rest, even if the sun yielded showers of sunbeams instead of rain. The surface of the earth began hardening more and more day by day. The ground was like a rock, with cracks making wrinkles on the face of the earth. The sky was pale. The sun seemed to monopolize the entirety of the heavens. The more dirt that kicked up, the more dust that blew. Everything that moved seemed to cause the dust to obscure the air. Father, why must we continue to try to break this ground? There seems to be no hope of growing. Could we not even relent for even a day? My son... Where do you find your feet? Are they resting in the air? Are they floating about like the grasshopper while it's taken flight? Or are they being held to the ground by an invisible force? Son, the earth's pool never rests. This is the law of nature. If she doesn't rest, then neither do we. Much of our work consists of working against the natural resistance of the universe. Much like the iron upon iron that sharpens a blade. The pressure is what gives the blade its edge. Without resistance, there is no growth, my son. The young boy looked at his feet, wishing he could, in fact, float above the dusty ground. He looked up, not answering his father's question, 
He just resumed beating the cracked ground while small geysers of dust appeared with each blow and his spade chirped when it struck the hard ground. Do you understand, my son? Though our fields may not yield a harvest of crops, our bodies will yield strength from our efforts. Our minds will condition to the strain. We will stay equipped and prepared for the work we were made to do. The most obvious purpose for an exercise may be secondary for what one is improving. Life is funny, my son. Often her greatest lessons are hidden in the most painful of moments. Remembering this will serve you well. The boy continued his work processing what his father had told him. A short time later, he looked up from his spade. He saw something in the distance approaching their farm. There was a blurry cloud of dust led by a horseman. It looked like a wavy bowl of purple dust rolling through the barren fields. The dust formed wings outward from the rider. No social callers paid visits to the small farm. People came for only one reason, to take. Nearby farmers and other peasants might stop by from time to time to borrow. The boy's father was always willing to lend to a neighbor in need. Small merchant traders may stop by an occasion. They weren't merchants by trade. However, to compensate for their inability to farm successfully, they would make small items to be sold around the area. They came from surrounding farms and hamlets to sell their little trinkets, a handmade spade or a blanket sewn by an elderly relative, perhaps. The boy's father had little to no money for as long as the boy had been alive and rarely ever made a purchase. If a young child were to stop by and introduce himself as the head of a household, the boy's father would assume that his mother was ill or had not a father at home. It was on these occasions that the father suddenly found himself in need of their merchandise. The boy never understood why his father would want a set of three napkins, a wooden fork, or a small hat peg. The man owned only a single hat, which was already in possession of a peg from which it hung. But it was always the case that the father found some way of scraping together the money to purchase that which the caller was selling if he felt it would be of benefit to the caller. Then there was the ultimate visitor who never missed a chance to make his presence known, the tax collector. This was a man tasked with taking money from all the villages and farmers to assist in the funding of the community. On this day, there was a new collector. He was a smooth-faced man, neatly appointed. He carried himself with an air of nobility. He rode with his head tilted upward as if he smelled something harsh. His horse was as black as the darkest night. The horse's shiny black coat combined with the man's purple cloak made for an impressive vision. It was especially dramatic given the canvas of yellow heat it was placed against, as if a painter placed the picture in the center of a larger canvas. Boy, the gentleman said, where is your father? With that, the father emerged from behind the house. I am the boy's father. How may I help you, my lord? It has been brought to my attention that you are in arrieres for last year's cycle, and I plan to collect them at once. Sir, I don't have any money. As my lord must well know, the gods have been most stingy with the rains this season. I'm afraid the previous season wasn't any better. I have every intention of paying my burden as I always have, but we don't have any money at this time. What we do have we must put toward buying more seed, in hope of a late harvest. The gods and their rains are not of concern to me. You will pay the levy, or you will find yourself making your case in front of the magistrate. 
and the boy will be put in the shelter until such time as you can come up with the funds. I've had enough of you lowly earth-turners and your hard stories. None of them will feed my family. I understand, the father replied. He then disappeared into the house. The boy watched with curiosity. He knew the amount the collector demanded was all the money they had. He wondered why his father had not put up a fight. Why had he given up so quickly on this argument of government versus citizen? The father returned with a small leather pouch. He gave it to the collector. While staring at the boy's father, the collector, without even so much as looking in the pouch first, felt around the bag studying its contents. He then exhumed two coins, and with a slight grin, placed them in his breast pocket. He then looked at the bag, emptied it into his left hand, and threw the bag on the ground near the father's feet. I see you are a bit short. In fact, it appears you are too Lyra short, to be exact, he said as he patted his pocket. To show that I am a kind and gracious collector, I will plead your case before the chief collector. Then, with a false sense of empathy, he placed his hand over his heart, shook his head, and said, It has, after all, been a rather harsh planting season for you earth-turners. The boy quickly looked at his father in disbelief. But, father! The man grabbed his son by the shoulder and pulled him to his side with a slight squeeze of his arm. With a respectful nod, the man replied, Thank you, my lord. Your understanding is most appreciated indeed. The boy peered into the eyes of the tax collector with rage and hate. He felt the pangs of hunger in his stomach disappear, replaced with fire instead. A ringing developed in his ear. His entire body became numb with anger. His head began to swim. Young man, you can learn a great deal from your father. He knows his place, and you would be wise to grow up and know yours. The collector then turned and rode away. The father picked up his pouch. The boy watched the taxman ride away until he was completely out of sight. The father knew immediately a discussion was necessary to help the boy understand what had taken place. He didn't show the slightest sign of weakness or doubt. He merely clenched the pouch into a ball in his hard, leathered fist and said, Let's get back to work. Father. Yes, my son. Why? Why did you allow the man to take all the money we had? We have been beating our spades in hardened earth with nothing to show for it, but a field of divots and dust for weeks. Now should the rains come, we will have no way to replenish our seeds. The man knelt down, one knee at an angle, the other finding the ground, and rested himself on his right heel. He was eye to eye with his son. He saw the anger, fear, and confusion all wrestling in the boy's face. Listen, Giovanni. The boy, with a look of absolute rage on his face, was still watching the tax collector ride away. The man then said in a gentle tone, Giovanni, look at me. The boy turned to his father. His face softened at once as his eyes met his father's. Giovanni, our world is not defined by haughty miscreants such as the tax collector. He operates outside of what is our actual world and universe. He looked up and waved his hand. This land, those taxes, the sky, the wind, the rain, they are all outside our control. Every man has a world, a universe that rests within himself. 
It is to rule, to govern. There is an outside world that will often conflict with that universe that lies within us. Ours is a world between our ears. All the rest is just dust, water, and air. It's only made real by our thoughts. He and his father turned and watched the tax collector disappear in the distance. When this conflict arises, my son, you mustn't forget that which you can control. I have no control over the collectors or the governing authorities, only that universe that rests inside. As long as the winds of my lungs blow through that universe, I will do what is good, right, and noble. Christians tell us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. In this they have a point. We must obey the laws of the outer world and not be consumed with what's fair or not fair, but only what is. The Christians also teach that one should turn the other cheek. Many take this to be a sign of weakness. This misses the larger point. He paused for a moment, looking back toward the direction the collector rode. Turning the other cheek doesn't render us powerless. Quite the contrary. It allows us to prove that, though we have the power to act, we choose not to. We resist our natural urges and rule them according to our principles. The boy placed his hand on his own cheek. Always live a life that will not allow your neighbor to find in you an offense. Be certain your moves and actions are deliberately chosen according to your rules and edicts, not merely a reaction of others. Do you understand? Yes, father. Remember this, Giovanni. Between action and reaction is space. If one can readily master the space between action and reaction, they can find a life of great tranquility. With enough practice, one can learn to tame the raging waters that flood the mind and belly. Though the boy understood what the father was saying, it didn't make it any easier. This was but one of the many lessons the father had taught the boy. The boy kept a mental catalog of his father's teachings. Always perform your assigned work as though doing it for the gods, not man. Withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the offender dies. Never give reason for man to find fault in your deeds. If the payment is due, pay it as quickly as possible. He who owes a debt is a slave to the one who holds the contract for payment. As the sun rises, work. Turn the other cheek, not because you are weak, but because you are strong enough to damn the power which you possess. As the sun sets, stomp and rest, and thus be prepared for the day that awaits the morrow. Between action and reaction is space. These were but a few of the lessons from his father the boy had engraved upon his heart.